0: Amen. Wonderful singing. It's so good to see all of you here with us this morning. Those of you who are in person and online, we thank you so much for your presence with us as we continue in our new series. That's a good question. And one of the things, one of the main things I want us to do in this series each week is just a different, uh, really unrelated question, but to ask yourself, Do I know this information biblically? Not what are the cultural or political talking points, but what does God's Word say about this topic? And certainly no topic could be exhausted, really, in the uh, uh, time that we normally allot for a sermon or a class. But I hope that we dig in enough to give you some good meat of the Word that you can study that further on your own, that it can reinforce, that it can help you change perhaps a belief that needs to change or learn more accurately God's word, whatever the case might be. And so this morning we wanna look at one that's uh, pretty, pretty big and I think we'll be able to at least get into some, uh, dig into it uh, well enough. But what about death, cremation and resurrection? What about that? <laughs> So let's, let's talk about that. You know, death has certainly touched all of our lives, hasn't it, in one way or another. It's no respecter of persons, and you never know when it's coming. And it doesn't matter if it's a sudden passing of somebody, unexpected, or if it's one that we expected, their body has just been wearing out, wearing down, uh, and that time comes, and it's not a surprise, but both are hard. Both are difficult. Both leave a hole in our hearts and that missing, that, that empty chair, that empty, that empty spot on the couch, that empty spot in the bed, that empty spot on holidays and birthdays. So, so it, death strikes, and it's hard for all of us in different ways. And, and, and we've all felt the, the pain, the sting. Of death. It's one that we've faced before and it's one that we'll continue to face. And throughout history, human beings have simply had to be face to face with death. And it's one that even historically scares people. And you can get yourself all worked up and scared and anxious about it as well. And so, what should the Christian think and understand about death? How should we? have uh, what, what should our perspective be what should our worldview be coming from God's word how does God look at the subject of death and how does he want his chil- children to look at it as well so it's important I want to emphasize each week that we understand what does God's word say that's what we're trying to get at in this series you know each one of us were born with an expiration date weren't we we don't know what that date says, but each one of us has an expiration date. And it might be sooner than later. It might be a long time from now. And hopefully it's a long time for now for all of us. But one of the things that the parables, one of the constant themes in all of the parables is be ready. In fact, sometime, I don't know, if, remember if it's next year or uh, sometime after that, we'll do a series on the parables. And that, the idea is be ready. And we're going to look at, those parables and how they tell us, be ready because you don't know the day or hour. And there are other passages where Jesus and, and other, uh, others in the New Testament talk about that. So related to that, what about cremation? And, and does that fit in anywhere? What should the Christian think about cremation? And then what about resurrection? So let's hit on these uh, as much as we can in the time that we have. So obviously the Christian approaches death with mixed emotions right like I said it's hard to face we 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 grieve the loss of someone even the faithful Christian even that person that was just a bright light and a powerful Christian influence in our lives that made such a difference in the world and and their time came even though we know they're they're gonna be with God in heaven we still feel their loss it's still hard and we carry that in our hearts uh, for the rest of our lives. And, and so, on one hand, we know there's the anticipation of being with God. On the other hand, there's that, the, the human feeling of loss, that we no longer have them physically with us. But it's important to know that for the Christian to understand that while death may end our physical existence, it does not end our existence, does it? It it doesn't end anyone's existence. Some believe that, and you may come across people who believe that. But we exist beyond this physical, tangible, earthly life. And that's one of the big questions of what will you do? Because eternity's coming. And how will you meet eternity? So let's first look at Genesis 2 and think about where did death come from? Where do we see it? In scripture. So look at the almost the very beginning in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, <clears throat> where Moses writes, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Adam after creation, right? He's in the Garden of Eden. He's placed him in the garden. And he's telling him, and and the same for Eve. That you may eat of every tree in the garden, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, that's a strong statement, one that clearly ought to be obeyed. And we know they didn't obey that uh, for very long. But at the same time, it leaves us wondering, yeah, but when they ate it, they, they didn't drop dead. They kept on living. So, so what does that mean? Well, Paul helps us understand in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, that one man being Adam, uh, so sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because what? All sinned, right? And so that ushered in sin and death into the world for the rest of human history now we do not inherit Adam's sin and and some believe that we do and teach that but we do not inherit Adam's sin we inherit the consequence of that sin and that is what we see is death now Sin was ushered into the world and infected the world. And so as we grow as human beings, age, mature, come to an understanding of right and wrong, at some point in our life, we choose wrong over right, and we sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're not talking about little children who make mistakes. We're not talk- talking about uh, you know, uh, small kids who, don't, who are learning, who don't know. We're talking about when you're old enough to understand and still choose what is wrong, then sin, you've been infected as well uh, with that sin. And then Isaiah 59.2 tells us what? That sin separates us from God. So we see that separation from the very beginning uh, in the Garden of Eden. Now, look at Genesis 3.19, where God told Adam that as a result of his sin, by the sweat of your face... You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, meaning until you die, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, and now they were going to have to live in an imperfect world, and they were going to have to work hard for everything. We can relate to that. We can relate to, uh, he says, Eve, you're gonna feel the pains of childbirth. You know, you're gonna feel everything like every human after you is gonna feel because you sin and mess things up in the perfect garden that God uh, gave them. So at death, the soul leaves the body, and the body is what. Uh, we typically traditionally bury there's different things to do but that's what we typically do and the the Bible shows us that the body rests in the grave okay and then the soul the Bible uses soul and spirit interchangeably the soul returns to God from which it came. First Thessalonians 414 uh, Paul says those talks about those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So there's this, uh, this word asleep means to lay down, as in laying down in the grave. So, so there's this idea of this sleep of the body. And we'll get to that when we talk about resurrection. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12.7 that at death the spirit returns to God who gave it. And we see that in the uh, creation account. Now, we also see this vivid illustration, description of the afterlife in Luke chapter. 16. So turn with me there to Luke 16, and we'll see the, uh, some call it a parable, some say it's not a parable, and it's a true uh, story. I think that's an interesting question. That doesn't matter for what we're looking at Today, uh, Luke sixteen nineteen nineteen through thirty one, what we would typically call the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, or the story of rich man, the rich man and Lazarus. Look at verse nineteen. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And in Hades, verse 23, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side, or some translations say at his bosom, at his side, like this. Verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime uh, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So what do we see in verse 23? We see that two men died, and they each went to a different place, didn't they? They went to two different places, but both ended up in Hades. Now, Hades is not the same thing as hell. One of the things that has Uh, caused us to misunderstand that is the King James mistranslates the word for Hades and translates it hell in the King James uh, version. So you'll see that it says hell instead of Hades, and it should say Hades because those are two different things. Hades is that place for departed spirits, that waiting place until judgment, and what we see here in this story of the rich man and Lazarus is that in Hades, there are two dimensions or sides or parts to Hades. And because of that misunderstanding of it, because of that mistranslation, I think when we hear the word Hades, that sounds bad. That even sounds like a bad place. But it is not, uh, at least half of it is not. But half of it is torment. That's where the rich man was. Half of it is where Lazarus was. We see it at Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Now, Jesus, to the thief in the cross, said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. So he's, he's, he referred to it as paradise, both in this... Uh, Hadean realm, this waiting place until the day of judgment. But what do we see while they're there in this waiting place? That they are experiencing what their future judgment will be, at least a taste of it, right, to some degree. So the final judgment hasn't come. They, they, They hadn't gone before the judge to get sentenced, but they're locked up in jail. Okay, and they know whether they're guilty or not. They know whether they're going to get out or where they're going to stay. So they know they'll be set, uh, be be ushered into heaven or ushered into hell at the judgment day. So there's a big difference there. The rich man, uh, notice, couldn't see what was going on on earth. He was. They were aware of what was going on there. They could see across but he he knew that he had five brothers and he but he couldn't communicate with them. And he wanted Abraham to go communicate with him and Abraham couldn't. It was not permitted. So what is what's that one thing that that tells us? You cannot communicate with the dead. We may wish we could, we may like to think that we could. Some people may practice that for different reasons, but we see here this illustrates that you cannot. It is not permitted, it is not it is not allowed, okay? And so there's no crossing over. So once you die physically in this body, there is no other chance. There's no second chance to be able to go from one side to the other. And so when you die, that's it. And then you just wait until you face judgment. And so that should raise some red flags, that should sound some alarms, that should that should rattle our cage and make us realize, "Oh, I better take this life on earth seriously." Because one day, and I don't know when, it will end. And I'm going to be in one place or another waiting the day of judgment. And so Luke tells us that Jesus even was in Hades. And that, that helps us understand if somebody says, no, Hades is the same thing as hell. Well, if Jesus went to Hades, then that means he went to hell. And that can't be true because his suffering was on the cross. Look at uh, Acts Chapter 2, verse 27, and Luke quotes from Psalm 16, For you would not abandon my soul, David writes, to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. And so we see that Jesus was in that place for departed spirits, that waiting place, until when God raised him from the dead. Now, confident uh, where he would spend eternity while Paul uh, was on house arrest, he wrote to the Philippian uh, church. And he said, I don't know if I'm going to be set free or if I'm going to be executed. But in Philippians 1.23, look what he wrote. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And that's the ESV. But the New American Standard translates it exactly the way the Greek says it, exactly the way Paul wrote it. And the way Paul wrote it was that my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. I, I mean, that's, that's like how one of our, our younger kids might say it. Like, that's very much better. And what is Paul doing? He's, he's giving you this triple, you know, explanation to say, it's it just like that's the absolute best thing is to leave this earth and go be with Christ. And that ought to be our goal and our hope and our our joy and the reward that we want to obtain. He says that to to leave here and be with Christ, that's very much better. That's the absolute best. Paul says that's how wonderful heaven will be. And we need to have the same kind of vision, same kind of hope, same kind of, of desire for heaven that Paul had. And of course, he's talking about ultimately heaven, not just the waiting place. Even though that would be, uh, that is paradise. Now, John wrote in, in Revelation fourteen thirteen, he heard this voice from heaven saying, "Write this: Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. This is after Christ. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them." Okay. So the Christian living faithful to God can have assurance of that hope, that reward that we read about in Hebrews and other places. They can have that confidence and assurance because I lived my life faithful to God. I followed His Word. I I lived out my faith. I was a a follower of Christ. I was a a disciple of Jesus. I, I was a learner of His. I was sincerely devoted to Him. They'll be in paradise until Jesus returns and then on their way to heaven. So to get to the question about cremation, I've heard that question asked several times. I think it's a good question. We ask, well, what if for whether economic reasons or whatever, for whatever reasons, maybe that was the person's wishes, they want to be cremated. Well, well, then I think they've got to have a body to be raised in. And then that, that, That destroys their body. They don't have that body anymore. So how can they be raised at the resurrection? What will happen to them? I I think that's a very good question. And and at first it it makes you think, yeah, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. But if we stop and think, what about throughout all of history? Cain killed Abel. What happened to Abel's body? Where is Abel's body now? Think about people who died way back then. Their bodies, no matter how they were attempted to be preserved, their bodies are nothing but dust now, right? What about someone who their body's been destroyed, whether it be in in war, in some accident, uh, any kind of thing like that where the body is is very severely damaged, It's, it's not whole. What about those folks? does that mean that none of those folks throughout history can have hope of resurrection no matter how faithful to God they were they, they were they were Christians by the book does that mean they can't be raised no so therefore we have to ask ourselves okay then what do I need to understand about cremation well the Bible Hints at it, reference, reference, makes some reference to it in the Old Testament. It doesn't say positive or negative. It just talks about uh, uh, bodies being burned, bones being buried. Uh, but there's nothing in the New Testament about it. The New Testament doesn't address it. We do see burial in the New Testament, obviously Jesus. And throughout history, that has been really the, the, the preferred method. Throughout Christian history, that's what Christians have practiced is 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 a traditional burial of the body and part of it is for that because of that belief well they need a body to be raised in or well the body is the temple of the holy spirit and so we don't need to touch the body but again the bible just simply does not tell us one way or another and knowing that historically people's bodies have ended up in different conditions and most, I would say, throughout all of history are nothing but dust from where they came from other than except, you know, and then you've got those who have been preserved, Been preserved. you've got them, but their bodies are not what they used to be. So we're left with, okay, well, is God powerful enough? Is he able to raise the dead at resurrection and give them the bodies that they had before? In perfect condition, so he is either all powerful or he is not, and if he is, therefore he is able to do that. So cremation is not wrong; it's not said that it's wrong in Scripture, uh, <clears throat> and the 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 body is not needed to be preserved in a certain way. If if there was if that was the case, we would have details about that in New Test in the New Testament. I'm confident. But consider uh, some things as far as why people might choose cremation. Like I said, because of the cost. In fact, from what I understand, it is rapidly growing in popularity because of the cost and, you know, because of the cost of funerals in general. So people are opting for that, that option of cremation. And there can still be a burial. There's different options with Uh, the the, the cremated person. Some will donate their body to science and they'll cremate the remains and the family will get the remains. They may keep those in the house. They may bury those. They may spread those ashes. They may do a number of different things. So there are some things to consider. There's some things to consider about closure when it comes to having some kind of service. A lot of people now are just choosing a memorial service without even whether the body is there to view or not. Uh, Maybe just the urn with the remains but some kind of memorial service for people to gather remember that person is good for human beings to do to spend that time together some kind of place for people to go where they can say and you know this is where the body of of granddad was is and and let's remember him so those can be helpful in healing and things like that for us as human beings who were left behind when they've gone but the bible does not give us direction on either ways there are just some things to consider about that uh, <clears throat> now let's move to resurrection in the last few minutes so again let me let me point this out as we move to resurrection if someone says well i don't need my body it's not important i'm just going to be cremated fine be, be cremated but what we have to do is have a resurrection mindset, a biblical mindset of what the Bible teaches about the resurrection. Because what we're going to see in Scripture is that the body is needed for the resurrection. The, body is, the earthly body is a part of the resurrection. So you may say, I'm going to be cremated. That's cheapest, easiest. I don't want to be a burden, whatever. Fine. But don't say the body isn't needed. Understand how the resurrection happens because the Bible writes about it. The Bible tells us. So just understand, have that understanding as you go into that. Look at John chapter 5, verse 28 through 29. Uh, Jesus said, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And come out. Okay? Envision that. All who were buried, all who are dead, will hear His voice. He's talking about Judgment Day. And come out. There will be a physical resurrection of these bodies. <clears throat> and <clears throat> verse 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So the bodies will be raised. And if God is all-powerful, and He is then he's able to, no matter what, no matter where, cause all bodies to be intact and be raised for this final judgment. Now, the resurrection of Jesus is crucial to our faith. So we need to understand uh, uh, the resurrection, the resurrection body, when it comes to our faith and our hope for eternal life. So look at 1 Corinthians 15. And you know we think about TV shows and movies, and, and that that's what our minds go to probably when we think about the resurrection of the dead. We ju- we jump to something we've seen on the big screen. Okay, that's not the way God operates. That's movie makers. He's talking about the restoring, the raising of bodies for uh, for judgment. But then we'll see some more detail here. Look at verse 12, First Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Paul writes, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? He's dealing with a local issue there. Uh, And arguing that, obviously, there is the resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ was raised. Look at this. So we need to hear this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's meaningless. It's worthless. If there is no resurrection, then our faith is meaningless. So if we're going to claim to believe in Christ and claim to be Christians, then we have to believe that the scripture is right and true in saying Jesus was, in fact, raised from the dead and therefore. For we will be raised from the dead on Judgment Day. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And if you're still in your sins, you can't be saved from your sins. And therefore, there's no hope of heaven. So that's the way this works. Look at verse 35, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul raises this question because he knows people are asking. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised and what body will will they have? Those are good questions, aren't they? We're asking those questions. So look at verse 42 through 49. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Remember that. Listen to that. We, we, We looked at there is a physical resurrection of our bodies, but now he's shifted and he's talking about this resurrection in a different body if there's a natural body there's also a spiritual body verse 45 thus it is written the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam became a life-giving spirit contrasting Jesus with Adam but it is not the spiritual that is first but the natural and then the spiritual the first man was from the earth a man of dust the second is a man from heaven talking about Jesus verse 48 As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, that's us. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven, those who belong to Christ when they die. Verse 49, just as we have been born in the image of man of dust, of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay, skip down to 51 through 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery... Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Remember we said laying in the grave that death is that sleep of the body. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what? Changed. That's key. We just talked about the resurrection of the physical bodies, but as they are raised, look what happens. We shall all be changed. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, this is judgment day... "...for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed." "...for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality." So it happens like this. So it's not like I'm going to be raised and get to hang out in my old body again... ...and get the gang back together and let's go hang out and, you know, uh, uh, let's go cruising. That's not what's going to happen... It's in the twinkling of an eye. It all happens that fast and judgment is over. And you're in your new, permanent, eternal body. And it's one that we'll be able to recognize one another in, but it's perfect. It's not like this, but it is different. And it is like Christ's resurrected body. when he, Perhaps when he appeared to the apostles, doubting Thomas and all of that. Now in a twinkling of an eye. But look, this is the best part. Look at verses 54 through 58. This is the best part of the resurrection. We talk about death. We we looked at cremation, resurrection. Now we get to the best part. This is what it's all about. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in what? Victory, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? In other words, we're mocking death. We used to be held in bondage to it. We're afraid, but the Christian has no fear of death because the Christian knows where they're going. And he says, you can't uh, make me afraid. You can't sting me because I have something better after this. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, 57 For uh, who gives us the victory through Jesus our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He's saying the resurrection is when we get to meet Christ in heaven and live with him eternally. Thanks be to God, the victory of our faith. Now, look at John 19 as we close. And Jesus says, John tells us, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, He's hanging on the cross in John 19. Imagine that. Hanging on the cross. He's been there all that time, suffering. Everything He's been through leading up to being nailed on the cross. And then lifted up and that pole dropping down in that hole in the how that would feel in his body. And he's been hanging there. And and this is said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. Look at verse 29. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said what? It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What did Jesus mean when he said it's finished? His suffering for us was complete. His, 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 everything he went through for our behalf was complete. It was finished. And, and the payment for our sin had been paid. Everything was taken care of on our behalf. God's wrath had been met with his, in the suffering servant on the cross. Jesus' work was done. His mission was accomplished for our salvation. And he says, it's finished. It's over. Now they can have salvation from the suffering and his blood on that cruel cross. And there's no greater love than that love right there on that cross for us, for you. And I told you that death entered through Adam in the garden. Life enters through Christ. Sin and death was ushered in through Adam. And Jesus came and gave us the remedy for that sin and death, for that sting, for that curse... And he gave us the remedy on the cross so that now we don't have to fear death. And now it can't sting us and make us afraid. And now it can't hold us in bondage because we know there's something greater beyond this life. And so death has no power over us because we have salvation in Christ. Because he hung on the cross for us. And because God raised him from the dead for us so that we can be raised with him. And Paul writes in Romans 6 that when we're baptized, we're raised to walk in newness of life. And then one day on that final judgment day, we'll be raised to walk, live with him for eternity. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you need to be raised to walk in newness of life through baptism. Be united with Christ and what he did for you on the cross and in the tomb. That forgiveness that he offers, that salvation he offers, that there's only one way to do it in the Bible. Maybe you just hadn't been living faithfully, and you know, I've got to get this together. The only thing that matters is how is my life before God, living a devoted life for Jesus, salvation in him. And you need the prayers of the church. Whatever you need, we're here for you as you, you come and stand and sing.